spanking new year. And what better thing to do than to begin this year by blessing the Lord? What do you say? All of you out there in the listening audience and want to join with us today and as we bring our hearts before the Lord, lift them up and praise. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. His name is still holy. His name is still worthy to be blessed. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We could use a little bit of that, couldn't we? A little renewal. Uh, let's come before the Lord, shall we? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, thank God or punished us according to our iniquities. Thank God. <laughs> Where would we be without the amazing grace of God? I'd be dead, in jail. Life ruined. Just the amazing grace of God is why we're here today to celebrate the reality of God's presence in our life, to learn from his word, and to give him praise and to bless the Lord from the soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we do come before you this first Sunday of this brand new year. We come to bless you. We come to praise you. We come to remember all that you've done in this past year for us, Lord. You have healed us. You have redeemed us. You have blessed us with mercy and grace. You have satisfied us and you have renewed us. And so, Lord, we pray for this new year coming up that we will fulfill the plans that you have for us, that we'll be able to walk in the way that you have prepared since before the foundation of the world. And so, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to begin this year in just declaring your holiness, declaring your name, and lifting you high, and uh, letting you know that we love you today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? All right, let's do this.
you are so holy. We come before you, Lord. We just praise you and lift you up on high for what you do for us and what you've done in our lives. What heart could hold
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my God, that we can come here to worship you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we have the freedom in this country to worship you, God. I pray that it will stay that way, Lord. We do lift that up in prayer, God, that we will continue, God, to have the freedom to gather here and worship you. 
thank you, Lord, just so much for your son, God, um, and for your salvation. And bless Pastor Kurt as he comes up here today to give the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, Austin Bishop Trio. So happy to be here today. Where else would you rather be than right here in the mega church? Whew. Looking forward to a great new year. Looking forward to doing mega things for our Lord and Savior. I've got an update from Edwin. A couple of days ago, he says that all the schools are opening in Malawi, and which is really good from COVID. And uh, they just finished 10 boreholes for schools, two in Machinga and eight in Mongochi. He says, now we're ready to do 10 more. What do you say? Oh, yeah. So are we. I said, roll them out. Let's do this, right? Uh, February is when the real, the real rains become. I mean, supposedly November is the rainy season, but you know how it is, like here in California. <sighs> Wasn't it the first rain we've had in for how long? Can't even remember, right? So anyway, that's really good news. We want to continue to be praying for that. And also, we're praying that Sophie's Bloombox Tech Center makes it to Malawi on time without any problems. Uh, that should be shipping out at the end of January. She designed a complete storage uh, shipping container and turned it into a school, classroom school, with uh, solar panels, battery backup, internet, 20 computers. We needed to get there and to get there safely. And so hopefully by June we'll be able to install that and get it running. There's uh, instructors in the country that are going to train all uh, the teachers there and. It's going to be an incredible thing. So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. And Isaac is in his third year of medical school. getting a master's degree in palliative training. So we want to send him to school. He's going to go on the end of January. So we're looking forward to doing that. If you want to help him out, you can just put in your tight envelope, Africa, and we'll go in there. And we'll see to it that he finishes up. This is his last year. So we're really proud of him. Uh, we've known Isaac since 1996, young man. You know, went to school, became a nurse, worked hard, right? Not easy, especially there, and worked hard in the medical industry. He's in charge of our Project Heart to Heart, which is our medical outreach. So we want to help move him up and to broaden his ability to care for people. So we're going to come before the Lord right now with our tithes and offerings. And we want to begin this year with just like a sacrificial giving here knowing that uh, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Anybody cheerful out there? Yes. All right, we're all cheerful. So, Father, we just thank you so much for this brand new year, this brand new year to worship you and to serve you and to make you known in our generation. And so, Father, we just pray that you would grant us the vision and the power and the strength to do everything that's in your heart to do. And, Lord, we are your people called by your name. And, Lord, we just want to be on the, on the front line, Lord. We want to be equipped to minister the good news for this brand new year. 
And so, Lord, we pray over this offering that you would take it and multiply it, cause good things to happen in Jesus' name. Everybody say Amen. I'll drink to that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Last time I was here, we talked about giving into your heavenly account where rust, canker worm, will not destroy. Hallelujah. Today we're going to talk about drawing out from your account and getting the blessings that Lord says that you will have if you become a giver in the things of God. We're going to go down to verse 19, which says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Get all your needs met you have to be in Christ Jesus. You have to be a doer of the word. You have to be able to say, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of my life. He is Lord of this world. And so, Father, we just 
come before you with our tithes and giving. And we say, because we are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and say, Jesus is Lord, we can claim the promises where it says we'll open up the windows of heaven, pour out blessings upon you that you cannot contain. Shaken together, pressed down, running over into your laps, and rebuke the devourer at your doorstep. So, Father, I take my first fruit tithe this morning and give you a wave offering. Hallelujah. And you are blessed. Thank you for the giver this morning, Father God. Let those promises come to pass. In the name of Jesus, amen. So deep is washing over me. Your face is all I seek. You are my everything. Jesus Christ, you are my one desire. Lord, hear my only cry. So much. God is so awesome, isn't he? All in favor? He'll come. I know it will. Everybody have a good Christmas? Kind of a weird Christmas, huh? But still was Christmas. New Year. Kind of uneventful. Which is also pretty good. But we're looking forward to a brand new year full of potential, aren't you? We'll get it up. <clears throat> so this is a new year, and it's full of potential. What does potential mean? Maybe or maybe not, right? Potential means possible yet not realized. A possibility, a likelihood of occurring or doing or becoming something in the future, the capacity or ability for future development or achievement. Which is to say the potential means nothing without the effort and the hard work to make that potential a reality. Are you with me? So it's a great year. Got great plans. It's got great potential. But we have to do the hard work to make it happen. The one who plants and the one who waters work together. Key word, working together. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're all business people in God's kingdom. We're not just, you know, passing time here, passing through. We have work to do. Uh, we're going to do it together. And we have one purpose, and that's to make Jesus known. And both will be rewarded for their what? Own hard work. The one who waters 
and the one who plants. We have so many good works we want to do this year that's going to need hard work, it's going to need funding, it's going to need uh, sacrifice to accomplish. We have churches to plant, we have churches to build, we have lots and lots of plans for water and for missions and for outreach, and we're going to do whatever's in our power to make that happen. What do you say? We, we don't even want to do the impossible. We just want to do what's possible. All, all things with God are possible, right? So we want to do all the possibilities that God has planned for us in this brand new year. What do you say? It begins today. So this Thursday, which would be January 7th, Mike, normally we have a dedication of the calendars. We have a prayer meeting that says, Lord, this is my calendars, my phone, my keys, my life. We just lay it all out here and we offer it up to God. So for those, I will be here <clears throat> this Thursday at 7 o'clock. Whoever wants to join me is more than welcome to do that. It uh, could be that we pop up a Zoom or something, have a little Zoom thing for those of you who can't make it. So we'll, we'll figure that out. But for sure, if you want to participate in that, uh, even at your house, okay, 7 o'clock Thursday, no matter where you are, we're going to be praying together for this brand new year. You can join with us, okay? And one of the things that... <clears throat> I'd really like to do is take us on a journey through Matthew's gospel, really get deep into the word, look at some awesome stuff in there. Now, the last time I went step by step through Matthew's gospel was 1987. Much has happened since then, right? What do you say? So uh, let's begin, shall we? All in favor? We're going to look at who Matthew is. <clears throat> this is an icon. This is definitely what he looked like, for sure. Matthew has a couple of names, like a lot of people in Scripture. He's known as Matthew. He's known as Levi. We know him as one of the 12 apostles. So you think about somebody living 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world. Why would we even know or care about them? The only reason we even know this one guy out of all the world that existed is because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he lived his destiny in fulfilling the mission that God had for him as an apostle. Now, one of the uh, key issues is uh, who wrote Matthew's gospel. You know, it's in total disarray right now. But I'm fully convinced that Matthew wrote Matthew's gospel, okay? That's the unanimous testimony of all church history until recently. I'm going to go with history before I go with liberal atheist scholars. Bible scholars. It's called BS. Bible <laughs> scholars. <sighs> you heard it here. So we know Matthew was a tax collector, which is one of the most reviled professions in ancient Judaism. Think about it. Anybody like the tax man? Can you believe it? Why would you vote for somebody that's going to tax you? You, you what? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tax you. Okay, yeah, you're the guy. And then you hate paying taxes. You complain about it all the time. It's universal. So Matthew is mentioned in Scripture seven times by name, five times by Matthew. He's called Levi a couple times. In uh, the lists, the four lists of apostles, he's there. 
And in one of the lists in Acts chapter 1, which is after the entire ministry of Jesus Christ, his, his death and resurrection, he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we have a list here. And they're in the upper room. They're waiting for the day of Pentecost. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in fulfillment of, you know, thousands of years of, of uh, prophecies. And you can see that Matthew is a part of this group. And he's there with the women, the female disciples of Christ, Mary, and his brothers. It doesn't bother us that Jesus has brothers, does it? No, we don't care. It's great. Praise God. You got any brothers? Nick could have brothers? Yeah, we're not worried about that. <laughs> now, usually, uh, commentaries will point out that this is the last time we see Matthew in Scripture. However... That's not entirely accurate. I'm going to show you, okay? Take it easy. Matthew is there in Acts chapter 1. He's there in Acts chapter 2. He's a part of the all. Do you see Matthew's name in there? All includes Matthew. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Matthew was a Spirit-baptized believer. He's... One of the people in the upper room that received the power of the Holy Spirit is a spirit-filled believer. And in Acts chapter 2, it goes on in the great uh, preaching by Peter. He stood up with how many? The 11. Okay, who's, who's a part of the 11? Well, Matthew would be a part of the 11. So does Matthew disappear from Scripture? No, he does not. He's there at Pentecost. He's there when the preaching's going on. He's agreeing with the uh, proclamation that Peter makes that this amazing event that took place, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, was spoken of by the, by the prophet Joel. God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Praise God for that. And so at the end of this sermon, they, the people, the massive crowd that had come uh, were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and the rest of the apostles. Does that include Matthew? I'm sure it does. And Peter said, repent, which is extremely important, right? Everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this message is an apostolic message. Matthew's there for the whole thing. He's in the upper room. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it says, I think, uh, those accept his message uh, that day were baptized. Do you think Matthew had any part in that? you think Matthew's baptizing anybody? How do you baptize 3,000 people by yourself? That'd be a hard thing, wouldn't it? They got to line them up. They probably just line, come on, line up. <clears throat> Matthew's exhausted, long day, baptizing people. What a great problem to have. Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't you love to baptize 3,000 people? Let's pray for that. Jesus, we want to baptize 3,000 people this year. Wouldn't it be great? <clears throat> and then it says they devote themselves to the apostles' teachings. Who's, who's the number of the apostle? Matthew's teaching. It's Matthew's teaching. And check it out. He's filled the Holy Spirit. Everyone was filled with all many uh, signs and wonders. Miraculous signs were done by the 
apostles. That includes our apostle Matthew. Further on, it says, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he believed in that. He believed in the grace of God. Uh, you can see he's a part of the foundation core of the early church. When, when people decided that they wanted to finance missions, they wanted to finance the building of the church, it says they sold properties and houses and lands. They're committed to the gospel, are they not? This isn't just like a little 10%. This is people who are fully dedicated to understanding how important getting the gospel out in terms of missions. And they sold stuff, all the stuff they had, and brought it to the apostles' feet. That includes Matthew. And they distributed it to each one as they had need. Notice they didn't keep the money for themselves, right? This money that we collect at the Breakwater Church goes out into the world to make Jesus known. The more we have, the more we give away. That's right. we've, done, we've done more this past year than we have in the year before that, simply because God's people have been generous, God's people have been contributing, and we're like, give it away, give it away, right? In the, in the famous words of Nikki Tedesco. God rest her soul. Incredible giving lady. But I want you to see that they're fully invested and there's plenty of money and they're distributing it and they're helping one another, okay? That's very important. They're committed to this and the apostles are there and uh, Matthew is a part of that. Now, here's another guy we know him pretty well is Barnabas, but he's a guy with two names also, Joseph and Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement, son of comfort. He's a, of the priestly stock and he sold land and brought the money and gave it to the apostles, one of which would include our buddy Ananias and Sapphira. Not such a good story, but they also brought money, and we can see that the apostles were building the church, organizing it. This is their headquarters. The church begins in Jerusalem. Guess what? It doesn't begin in Rome. All right? Very important. Uh, Matthew's a miracle worker. He's an evangelist. Uh, Acts 5, 12, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. As a result of that, believers were increasing, increasingly added to the Lord, both men and what? Women. God loves women. What do you say? God wants women as his disciples. God wants women as part of the church. Right now, the church is 60% women, which is to say God's military force is largely women. Should we disciple women? They did. Should we allow women to go out into the world and witness to friends and neighbors? Why not? Why would you tell women that you can't preach the gospel, that you shouldn't witness, that you shouldn't declare the truth you know about Jesus Christ? Because you're a woman. That doesn't sound very biblical. That doesn't help anybody. I say disciple women, train them properly, fill them up with the Holy Spirit, and let them loose on the devil. All right? <laughs> Unshackle them and let them go. Both men and women, it's important that we see that here. Matthew's also going to go to jail. Uh, this is the, the second imprisonment after James... Uh, Peter and John were in prison, you know, for healing the lame man at the gate. 
Uh, in this particular case, they threatened them. They said, don't preach anymore. What did they do? Just went on preach more. I thought you said preach more. No, we said don't preach more. Oh, I only heard preach more. Not don't preach more. <clears throat> so they arrested the apostles. Matthew's a part of this. It's all 12 of them this time put into the common prison with murders and rapists. Can you imagine the revival meeting they had in prison that night? Can you imagine the prayer meeting these guys are having? And look at it. An angel of the Lord came and opened the doors and said, hey, go back out of the temple. Speak to the people. All of them. All you guys go and do that. A bold defender of the faith. Matthew goes to jail. <clears throat> Peter and the other apostles, when they were brought before the, the uh, judicial system, answered with the other apostles, which include Matthew, we ought to obey God rather than man. They're all a part of this uh, understanding that they've got this incredible mission that they need to fulfill. And they were beaten and released and commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus. That didn't go very well. So Matthew was one of those that were beaten for his faith, tortured for his faith. And 6 and 7 and 8 in Acts of Apostle, things are going to begin to change. There's going to begin a big uh, persecution. But as the number of disciples was multiplying, it would, we, we see 3,000, and this is there's 5,000, and there's more. So it's there, there. The, the multiplication is just going on in Jerusalem. Jesus had been there for three and a half years ministering. This is a holy season when Jews from all over the world are in Jerusalem. There are so many people who have been healed by him. So many people have heard Jesus. They're now preaching the, the fulfillment of, of the gospel, the full gospel. And people are getting saved. There's, it's a tremendous revival taking place. Thousands and thousands and thousands. People are selling things. People are giving money. This thing's taken off into the world. Now, you'll notice here, and this is important, that there are Hebrew-speaking Jews and Hellenists. What are Hellenists? They're going around causing hell. No, these are Greek-speaking Jews. All right? That's actually what they call them, Hellens. Uh, Jim, God bless you. Gustopolis, our local Helen. So in this church from the very beginning, there's a huge amount of new believers that are Greek-speaking. Because if you look at the list of nations in Acts 2, uh, from all over the world, Jews have come for Pentecost and for Passover and Pentecost. And most of those Jews <clears throat> by this time would be Greek-speaking Jews, probably a local dialect. Perhaps some of them knew some of the Aramaic or Hebrew language of the day. But generally speaking, they'd be, they'd be Greek-speaking Jews. 250 years before Christ, the Old Testament was translated into Greek so that Greek-speaking Jews could have a Bible in their own language. Okay? So the Greek-speaking Jewish community of the world had a Greek Bible, which would be the Greek Old Testament, Septuagint, and the... Uh, Aramaic or Hebrew-speaking Jews would have the Old Testament in Hebrew language. So these Hellenists were neglected. And so what did they do? The 12. Who's part of the 12? Our man Matthew's a part of the 12. 
And they got the disciples together and says, hey, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. And it's not that serving tables below them. It's just that they have a mission and they have a purpose in life or a body of Christ. And God has put people in the body to serve and do things, right? So their ministry is dedicated to the word of God and to organizing this church and doing stuff. And there's good people in the congregation that are very capable, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, to do this job of distrib distributing food to the, the widows that, that need it. Are, are, are you with me? So it's like they shouldn't have to do everything. They should be able to do what God has allocated for them to do and that everyone has a gift. And, of course, we're going to see this worked out later on in some of the epistles, but we see it here in a practical manner where the Aramaic-speaking locals and the Greek-speaking visitors were able to work it out so that the widows could have some uh, daily distribution. Okay, It's important that you realize or we or begin to realize. So one of the things I'm beginning to realize and I want to share with you is just how uh, big and how large the Greek-speaking Jewish community was at this time, not only in the world, but also in Jerusalem. All right? That is significant. And as we get deeper into this, I'll tell you more why. Now, there's an apocryphal work that's called the Acts of the Apostle Thomas. It's an interesting story about the apostles' concern for the world. And I like this because at some point, we know that all the apostles left Jerusalem and went into the world to preach the gospel to all nations. So at some point, uh, every now and then you see Peter and John there, and then James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, takes over the ministry there. Okay, Then you see all the apostles disappear pretty much from the biblical scene, except for a few of them, like I say, John and Peter. So in the Acts of the Apostles, after a certain time, when it talks about apostles, you're talking about these two guys that are definitely there and not the whole group because we know that they did what Jesus told them to do, and that's to go in the world and preach the gospel. So there's this note that I really liked, and it was just that there at that time, we, the apostles, were all in Jerusalem, and they have the list, and Matthew's a part of the list. And what they did was they looked at the world as they knew it in those days. We portioned out the regions of the world in order that each one of us might go to the region that fell to him. So they said, Jesus told us to go in all the world. Here's the world. Let's divide it up in 12 pieces. Let's catch loss and see where you go. All right? So this one says that the, uh, Thomas, the, was uh, his lot was to go to India, which is interesting because... Historically, Thomas did make it to India and founded a church there outside of Chennai and was martyred there. And the Christian church in India traces its origin back to the Apostle Thomas. Isn't that interesting? I thought you might like that. So, uh, traditional information. Now, think about the fact that we have anything that's come down to us from 2,000 years ago. How impossible is that? Especially when it's written on parchment or papyrus, which is reeds woven together from the Nile River. How durable is that? Not very durable at all. So the fact that we have any information about anybody from anything 2,000 years ago is pretty incredible. But the one thing we do know is that 
the Jews were spread throughout the ancient world. So when you, again, look at Acts chapter 2, you see the list of nations represented there that have come to this special festival of Pentecost. You've got people from Greece and Rome, Mesopotamia, uh, as far away as uh, India, Cappadocia, Asia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, uh, Cretans, Arabs. You know, the whole world was represented there which is to say that Jews are spread out throughout all the world. And, of course, there's synagogues in every place where you have 10 male Jews. And so as the apostles went out, as we see in Paul's journeys, he would go to the Jew first. He would go to the synagogue. And each one of those synagogues had a lot of Gentiles or non-Jewish kind of believers. You know, like Cornelius was one of those guys that associated himself with the synagogue. He wasn't fully Jew. There were some... Gentiles that became fully Jews, which means they were circumcised, kept the festivals, and did all that stuff. So he had this, this ring of evangelism. You know, they call it e, EO, E1, and things like that. So you got your, the affinity group that is most like you, which would be the Jewish. They would go to that first and evangelize that. Why wouldn't they? And from there, those converts would go out, form churches, and they would reach their own communities. Whew. Start other churches. It would just like dropping a rock in a pond. It would just go out until here we are today, right? From the work that they did, from their efforts to go out into the world, from them preaching the gospel, 2,000 years later, here we are, right? Somebody witnessed to us. Somebody told us about Jesus Christ. That message goes all the way back to the apostles' doctrine which is pretty exciting. Now, history is unanimous that Matthew wrote the first gospel in Aramaic, which was also composed in Greek. They say, well, the Greek one doesn't show any signs of translation, so it has to be its own standalone gospel. Okay, that's fine, but think about it. What language did Jesus speak? Aramaic, right? So if the gospel... Of Matthew was in Greek, it would be a translation. <laughs> Make any sense? And there's no reason in my mind that they shouldn't have created a local Aramaic gospel of Matthew and a Greek gospel of Matthew. The whole world's a Greek-speaking world, and there's Greek-speaking Jews, so why wouldn't you do both at the same time? It's not that hard. <laughs> it was so hard. They couldn't do it. They didn't have any money. They didn't have paper. They, they waited 30 years for Mark, poor little Mark, to come along and write his gospel. Now, Mark could do it because he could find paper and ink, but 5,000 Jews were given money, and Greek-speaking Jews, they just couldn't do it. Oh, my gosh, it's terrible. So anyway, we'll find out how ridiculous that whole thing is. It's ridiculous that anybody would believe anything like that. Matthew wrote first, Matthew wrote soon, and he composed his own gospel. Now, if Matthew's going to go on a missionary journey, he's going to take his gospel with him? Sure. History records that Bartholomew, when he went on his missionary journey to India, that he found Matthew's gospel in India. <laughs> and... And left, he left a copy there. So Bartholomew went to India. He 
converted people to Christ, left them a copy of Matthew's Gospel. In the second century, a guy went over there and found this group of Christians. What are you guys reading? Oh, you're reading Matthew's Gospel in Aramaic. Oh, no, it couldn't have been his Gospel. That would have to be something less than a Gospel. Don't get me started. More on this later. So how does Matthew go from tax collector to apostle to missionary? Okay? What's that? So there's three accounts of this. They're very similar. In two of them, Mark and Luke, he's called Levi. Matthew calls himself Matthew. Uh, there's no reason to believe that they are not the same person. They're just two names for the same guy. It happens all the time in Scripture. Paul does it, Barnabas. Jesus nicknamed Simon. What do they call him? Rocky, remember? So Matthew is also known as Levi. They are the same person. I'm saying that Jesus named him Matthew. Matthew means the gift of God in Hebrew. Are you with me? What a great name. Gift of God. So he could have received that name from Jesus, like Peter, like Jesus did for Peter and they did for the other guys. So Capernaum, you can, you can see it there on the map, that it was a main thoroughfare. These are like blood vessels. These are, these are major roads. And all the northern roads come through Capernaum and from the south. So it, it's a main trading center. And Matthew was a native of this city on the northwest shore of Galilee. So he worked the trade route into Capernaum as a tax collector for the Roman government. Matthew was working for the enemies of God. He was despised as a traitor by his fellow Jews for associating, and even worse, working with pagan, idol-worshiping oppressors. Property taxes were collected directly by Roman officials, but taxes on transporting goods, on humans, on shipping that comes through the Sea of Galilee was extracted by Jews from their fellow Jews who took money from travelers and Jewish people and gave it to the Roman government. Matthew was such a, a tax collector. His business was the collection of taxes and customs from people crossing Sea of Galilee, coming down the trunk road, traveling through Capernaum. And uh, you can see it here, a different map. These middlemen agreed to, in advance to pay a certain amount of money to Roman officials. So the Romans required a certain amount of funding from these tax collectors who often bought their positions and then the tax collectors were charged whatever they wanted because there was no legal amount. So their profits came from the excess that they would extort from people. So needless to say, the Jewish people hated tax collectors. Who wouldn't, right? It's despicable. Uh, not only for their corruption, but also because they worked with the despised Romans. So uh, they were ranked tax collectors. If you read through the Bible, it's like the worst thing you could call somebody. Right? You feel me with that? You're a tax collector or a sinner. 
They were lumped together with murderers, sinners, prostitutes, lepers, Gentiles, robbers, anything bad that you could possibly say about somebody. Tax collector was the worst. <laughs> and they had very little accountability. There was no limit on the amount of taxes that they could charge. So what would they do? They would overcharge. And they earned a reputation for telling people they owned more than they did. They took it from everybody, the rich and the poor. didn't matter to them. And they pocket the difference. So their salary came from commissions, which means they were motivated to what, squeeze every penny out of everybody that passed through there as they possibly could. You know, in Spain, in, in Mexico, they call it La Mordida, right? It's like under the table. It's like whatever you can get. It's just corruption is everywhere. It's, an, it's, it's endemic pandemic. It's a problem in the world today still, isn't it? It's terrible. But his wealth, depending on his corruption, they were unclean, they were despicable. And when, the tax, and when people came, tax collectors came to John the Baptist, he said, what should we do? He says, collect no more than you're authorized to do. All right? Now, Capernaum was the headquarters of Jesus' ministry, even though he's... Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, Capernaum became the place of the central location of his, of his ministry. And let's see, do I have it? <clears throat> Jesus had just come back from a trip across the lake, and he's coming back to Capernaum. You can see in Matthew 9, 1. And there's this paralytic, and his friends brought this guy. He's paralyzed to Jesus. And Jesus said, Hey, pick up your, your man, go home. First, the first thing he did was forgive the guy's sin, and everybody got upset. Who is this guy that thinks he forgives sin? And then he goes, well, what's easier to say? Get up and walk or forgive your sins? Well, of course, say forgive your sins is the easier thing, right? Because you don't know if it even happened. But he goes, let me show you that I had the authority to do both of these things. Pick up your bed and walk, which he did. And so it made everyone go crazy. And crowds followed Jesus wherever he went. Does Jesus go anywhere without a crowd? No, he can't. So... In this little town on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus comes back. There's this huge crowd. He just heals this paralytic. People go nuts. And they're praising God who gave such authority to man. You know what the next verse is? He sees Matthew at his little collector's booth. Okay? Do I have it? And he went to the booth, and there's Matthew sitting there. I think I have another one. I love icons, don't you? This is the calling of Matthew by Carpaggio, 1502. So Matthew, by being in this situation, by being a tax collector, by being a Jewish guy that's working for the enemy, it's, just to, it's to say that he has rejected his religion, his Jewish faith. And why has he done that? He's done it for money, has he not? Does that ever happen? <laughs> Happens all the time. He turned his back on his Jewish heritage. He was willing to become despised. He's willing to become unclean. He's willing to become an outcast from his own people and his own religious heritage for money, for material possessions, for the things he could own. He was very wealthy, he owned property, 
He had it made. Except when you have everything, and then you realize you have nothing. Sometimes it takes people to have everything before they realize they don't have anything. At the end of the day, all you got is this corrupt heart. And Jesus is coming up from the lake, just healed this guy. This news is going all around him. Jesus has been preaching in this area for a while. It's not unlikely that Matthew would have heard Jesus preach or knew about Jesus. Jesus comes up to the custom house where Matthew is seated, and he says, come follow me. And Matthew got up, left everything, and became a disciple of Christ, a disciple, an apostle, a missionary, a sent one. Now listen, when religion fails you, and you fail your religion, come to Jesus. Are you with me? Religion will fail you. You will fail religion. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. When money fails you, when your career fails you, when life fails you, and life is nothing more than what you own, come to Christ. Follow Christ. He will give you purpose. He will give your life meaning. He will give your life destiny. There was nothing that Matthew owned that was more important than following Jesus Christ. Are you with me? He gave it all up. Destiny is more valuable than dollars. What's happening here is more valuable than anything you could possibly do with your life in this lifetime. We are ambassadors of Christ. Matthew had to hit the big time. He had all the money he could want. He had houses. He had friends within his little community of corruption. However, he, would, he betrayed his own religion. He betrayed, he rejected his faith. And he was rejected by God. He was rejected by religion. But what did Jesus say? Hey, tax collector, come with me. Come follow me. So he made a decision to follow Jesus. And then he gave a big party. Can you imagine? I love this. He immediately becomes an evangelist. He's immediately going to have a Jesus party. He's going to invite all his friends. He's going to barbecue. Whatever he's going to do, he's going to invite them out. So Jesus could witness to them. Interesting. Do you think his life has changed? Do you think his heart has changed? Just like that. Just like that. Does it happen like that? Yeah, it can't happen like that. If you come to Jesus, you give your life to Christ, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, he can transform your life and begin a process of transformation in your life. We see it here. He made a decision to follow Christ. He had a big party. There they are. So, in this party that he goes to, and this is important, 
there are tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Matthew's got money, he's got a big party, he brought his friends to hear Jesus. Now, this gathering of people, it would be hard to find a more despicable cast of shady characters. Are you with me? Total outcast, totally shunned, despised, reviled, hated, forsakers of their own religion, corrupt among their own people, all got together in a room at dinner, right? Jesus is with them. Tax collectors were sinners by trade, lying and cheating their way into riches and robbing from even the poorest among their own people. Sick. The level of corruption so deep. The level of evil so black. Just like cohorts of the devil. The richer they were, the more corrupt they were. They were religious outcasts. They're dishonest. The way they practiced their profession, they openly defied the law of Moses. And the Pharisee says, why does he eat with those people? What, what, what's going on with him? What's the insinuation? The insinuation is your leader cannot be righteous if he's eating with these unrighteous people. They would not ever associate with people like that. Okay, the Pharisees. They would never go into that house. They would never eat with them. They would never discourse with them. How are you going to win people to God in repentance if you don't reach out and, and bring the gospel there? Are you with me? So here we see Jesus consorting with the worst people in the culture, pretty much. Murderers, rapists, harlots, tax collectors. Now, is he hanging out with them? Or is he evangelizing them? He's not just hanging out with them like we're good buddies, but he's there for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring them to repentance, to bring them into the kingdom of God so that they would change their shady ways and live for God in righteousness. Are you with me? So the disciples are a part of this group. They're invited to this. They understand why Jesus did this, why Jesus would go to a, a dinner like that, and how to use that dinner for the purpose of evangelizing. Okay? Very important. Peter's here. Peter understands this. That's why in Galatians chapter 2, when the boys from James came up and they separated themselves from the Gentiles to eat specifically with the Pharisees is because the Pharisees would not ever eat with Gentiles. And so Peter is there for evangelistic purposes, in my opinion. And I am right about that. So this is a reasonable question. You know, why, why would he eat with those people, right? But he ate with them not to approve of their corruption, but to bring them to, the, to God. I've come to call sinners to repentance and where better place to go but where sinners are there and they're there for the purpose of meeting Jesus so he's not just walking into a bar right this whole meeting was set up for the purpose 
of evangelizing those, that group of people. It was set up that way. Not a bad idea. So he wasn't just barging into somebody's house or barging into a bar and, you know, uh, you know trying to lead those people. He said, look, it, we're gonna, I'm going to invite you all to my house. I'm going to have dinner, and Jesus is going to be there, and he's going to explain the kingdom of God to you. So what that means, they'll either come or they don't come. But if they did come, then they came for a reason. They know why they're there. So you're not surprising them. Are you with me? It's important. But these are God-forsaken and God-forsaking people. And what did Jesus do? When Jesus heard, he says, hey, healthy people don't need a doctor, right? Sick people do. And he says, go, go learn this scripture, which is really funny because these are the Pharisees who are the teachers of scripture, right? Go learn something. I want mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus says, this is why I've come. I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to call on those who, not on those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. If you remember the one tax collector, what? God be merciful to me, a sinner, right? What did the Pharisees say? I count all my list, all my list of good things that I've done. I fast, I give, I do all this stuff. And what the scripture says, this, the, the humble tax collector is the one that actually went home justified before God. Jesus came to seek and to save a lost. There couldn't be anyone more lost than Matthew. And how can you ever reach the lost if you never reach out to the lost? So I like the fact that he, he invited all of his friends over and had a Jesus meeting. That verse of scripture right there in Hosea actually looks like this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, if you think about the Old Testament, if you think about all the sacrificial system and all the temple and all the different ways that you had to offer sacrifice, and he goes, you know what? I would prefer one good act of mercy. Rather than all that. Isn't that amazing? What's mercy? You can do that anywhere. Sacrifice, you had to go to the temple to do that, right? You had to go to the temple. You had to be holy. You had to buy things. You had to go to the money changers. You had to bring your, your cow, your dove, or whatever offering you're going to give. And you had to go do it in a specific location. But where can mercy be done? Mercy can be done anywhere, everywhere, in your house, in your street, to your neighbor, in your business, where, in your, you know, wherever you are. So he, you know, and God says, you know, I'd, I'd prefer mercy over all of that. And so even today, you know, sometimes we think church is what happens in the church building. You got all the stuff that you do and things, you know, sometimes different kinds of churches have more things that you're required to do when you come there. But still, once you leave the door, what God would prefer most is that we're merciful and kind to one another. All right? That is a greater religion than doing all the stuff that churches and religions say you need to do in order to look or be holy. Okay? There's lists of things. All that stuff doesn't matter. It does not matter. What matters is mercy, whether you in your heart are going to show it to one another. Ritual cannot take the place of virtue. All right? It's saying a lot. So in Matthew, we have a showcase, one of the most powerful examples of the forgiveness and love of God. How far can forgiveness reach? Pretty deep. How deep can it go? Unlimited. Is it unlimited? Yeah. Light. Think, think what they're going to do with this new, what is it, J.B. Webb? 
What do we call it? Telescope? James Webb Space Telescope. They're going to try and look back for light for how far back to almost to the dawn of time, 100, 200 million years, all the way back to 200 million years, this new telescope that's going to be launched soon. It's going to outpace the Hubble. Unbelievable. Look it up. It's incredible. But it's going to be able to trace light all the way back, okay? So there's, there's no end to light, which I'm saying. Is that how deep it is, the light of God's word can get you there. So from here, uh, Matthew's life takes on eternal significance. Whatever he was before, he's a different guy now. Whatever he was doing before, he's got a different mission in life now. His career has changed. His path has changed. He used to count money for a living. But now he's going to do something that actually counts. Are you with me? He went from counting money to do something that counts. And one of the things that we're really grateful for is the New Testament, his gospel in the New Testament. He's probably the best educated. His whole life was spent writing documents, keeping track of taxes. He was most likely bilingual because he had to deal with the Romans and the local people. He probably had to fill out forms of tax accountability for the Roman authorities. He eventually went to Syria, Ethiopia, Persia. They say that he was martyred in Ethiopia somewhere. Bottom line, <clears throat> Jesus came, saw the guy, and said, follow me. Follow me. <clears throat> Jesus says that same thing to us. He says that same thing to this whole world. That's the message. When religion fails you, money fails you, life fails you, come follow me. There's an action to take on our part. What's our part? To follow him. What I like is Matthew got up and went with Jesus, which is to say he had a choice to make. Did he have to make that choice? He did not have to make that choice. He made that choice. Remember the rich young ruler, Jesus said, come follow me, the same thing. What did that guy say? Nah, I'm not going to follow you. You can choose dollars over destiny, or you can make the right choice and follow Jesus Christ. What do you say? This year we want to dig deep into the gospel. We want to know Jesus better. We want to follow him. <clears throat> we want to do his will in our lives. <clears throat> and we want to be a part of this history that began so long ago. What do you say? <clears throat> Today is the first Sunday, not only of the month, but the first Sunday of this brand new year. So we have some communion elements there on the table. We want to take a moment right now to consecrate ourselves through remembering what Christ has done for us by taking this. If you're not a believer, uh, we don't recommend that you do this. If you love Jesus, you want to follow Christ, you want to follow him deeper, then uh, it's a good time to take a moment right now. We're going to worship Jesus a little bit. <clears throat> We're going to take this, and we will uh, celebrate together with the body and blood of Christ. <clears throat>
Matthew's Gospel says, as you go into the city, you'll see a certain man tell him, the teacher says, my time has come. I'll eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with his disciples. Matthew was there. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. Father, we want to bless you today. We want to thank you for sending your son to be the savior of the world. We're thankful for the hard work of bringing us to the foot of your cross. We thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for the resurrection from the dead. We're thankful that Christ is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And Lord, we come before you and pledge ourselves to you today for a brand new year. We pray, Lord, that you give us the energy to do the hard work, to turn potential and possibility into reality. Lord, we want to serve you in this new year. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God. He gave it to them. Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. I had plenty of sins, right? I worked hard having sins. Now I want to work as hard for Jesus, don't you? Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that you clothe us in your righteousness. We're thankful for that, Lord, and we want to grow up into you, Lord. We want to grow up in the full stature. We want to be able to perform the gifts and the skills that you've given us, Lord. We dedicate them to you, to your service. The beginning of this brand new year, Lord, we drink to you, King Jesus. Amen? Long may he reign. Stand if you can. Let's just give praise to the Lord for calling us from wherever we were serve him and our generation <clears throat> wherever you are whatever you are doing Jesus has a plan for your life
Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Then sing my soul, my Savior God, to Shout of acclamation to take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow with humble adoration and there proclaim.
Children 
fix your eyes on this one truth God is madly in love with you So take courage, hold on, be strong Remember where your help comes from
Thank you for the history lesson. Thank you for the boldness of the apostles to go out and spread the good news, Lord. And give us that boldness, Lord, when we go out and we're in groups of people and, and we know there's somebody there that needs you so bad, Lord. Thank you so much that somebody did it for us, Lord. That somebody maybe bugged us at the time. We didn't want like being around them, but they kept they kept giving <laughs> us the good word, you know. And it sunk in. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. And we pray this in your precious son Jesus' name. Amen.